Unedited with Cameron Strang is brought to you by World Vision's upcoming Global 6K for Water. It's a one-day event on May 4th where people from all over the world walk and run 6K in their own neighborhoods to bring lasting clean water to children in need. Find out more and sign up at worldvision6k.org. I'm Cameron Strang, and welcome to Unedited. My guest today is Jamie Twerkowski, founder of the mental health nonprofit To Write Love on Her Arms. For years, Jamie's been an advocate for mental health, but never really set out to make it his career. He got involved in the issue simply because he wanted to help a friend raise money for rehab, and it turned into a grassroots movement. He tells the story of how it all happened on this episode. It's fascinating. Today, Jamie travels the country speaking and helping people find help and healing through counseling and community. A few years ago, he wrote the New York Times bestselling book, If You Feel Too Much, Thoughts on Things Found and Lost and Hoped For. You should read it. Two things you should know about Jamie. He's a basketball fan. We've been friends for years, and he was in town to go to a game with me, as several of our recent guests have. Now, for you non-basketball fans, you'll be happy to know this season is ending. So no more basketball talk for a while. Second, we actually recorded this conversation a few weeks ago before Jamie got thrust into the national conversation around the Preachers and Sneakers Instagram account. You might have seen him quoted in the New York Times and other places. He's been outspoken on his thoughts about that phenomenon. If you want to hear him talk about that, listen to episode 697 of the relevant podcast. We had Jamie and our friend Propaganda on to talk about it. The conversation you're about to hear is actually more about Jamie's story. To Write Love has been around 13 years now. So we talk about that journey, where they are, what he sees for the future. We talk about his own journey with mental health and changes he's made in his life and his role at the organization recently. It's vulnerable and real. It will be impactful for anyone who's ever stuck their neck out to try to make a difference. We also talk about mental health and how things have changed, especially in this generation. It's, it's an important topic. Well, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Jamie Torkowski. Well, thanks for coming. Dude, I was already going to the game. I mean, yeah. it's a pretty sweet invitation. I know. It's like, hey, if you're coming up for the game, swing by and let's do a podcast. That's great. I've known you for quite a while. It's been, let's see, you started to write love in what, 06? 06. So knew you a couple of years before that or in that era, well, that era? Yeah. And I've known you since the beginning of Relevant. Right. 2000. What, was that, yeah? Isn't that crazy? Somebody mentioned, was it an office warming party that Mute Math played? Yeah. Someone mentioned that online the other day and I, I was there and was, she was there. and That was 04. Okay. Yeah. we It was before they had an album. Yeah. And they came down and we had rented a... Uh, warehouse space, basically, or a flex space in the back of a warehouse, and and uh, I built a stage for that party. Yeah, and you math came and played. That was pretty epic. I was there, totally, dude. That's nuts. That that place is a Tesla dealership now. Wow. <laughs> but um, so I've been following you on 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 Twitter, and one of my favorite things, and Instagram, one of my favorite things you're posting is the messages you're getting on Bumble, where oh. they don't know what it is that you do. Yes. And they're like, so you do, you're a tattoo artist or? You know, that might've whatever. been the best one. Yeah. So tell our listeners who, you know, I want I want them to get to know you. Tell, tell me about To Write Love on Our Arms. So To Write Love on Our Arms started in 2006 here in Orlando, just as an attempt to help a friend, uh, a girl who I met who quickly became a friend who was denied entry into a local treatment center, probably a couple miles from where we're sitting. And my friend Renee uh, was struggling with depression, addiction, self-injury, had attempted suicide previously, and spent the next five days living at the house I was living at at the time. Uh, I was renting a room from a guy who we both knew, David McKenna, who has since passed away. And David was sort of a big brother figure in Renee's life and recovery was a big part of David's story. And so he was very much kind of our leader and Renee's leader as it related to her stepping into treatment and her trying to get sober. And I was moved by getting to know this person and wrote a short story about it, wrote two and a half pages and gave it the title to write Love on Her Arms. 
the first t-shirt was designed by a guy who was working for you at the mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And that's a fun, fun sidebar. Uh, my friend Corey Westerhold designed, we didn't think it was a logo. We certainly didn't think I was starting a nonprofit. We were it was just like a shirt design. Yeah. To try to, uh, sell a t-shirt to raise money for Renee's treatment. And this was back in the moment of MySpace in 2006. And so I created... Just FYI, that era, that t-shirt that he designed for you looks very, very much like a certain cover that we were working on at that moment. So the typography, the dotted line... Yeah. ...was... And were elements that one of the other designers was doing for the cover story and stuff. And you guys, and Corey was a part of that yeah, and yeah. whatever. And it's just like, oh yeah, my buddy needs a shirt design. So these tools are like right there yeah. and we're kind of in this creative space and boom, he yeah. threw that together for you. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. And you know, so it had this really simple, small beginning and very quickly we learned that so many people could relate to Renee's story, that so many people knew what it was to lose a loved one to suicide or addiction. Uh, people were walking that road personally, someone writing in on behalf of, you know, a friend or family member. And so my life changed pretty quickly back then. I was working a sales job for Hurley, the clothing brand, and ended up leaving that Hurley job a few months later and have been a part of this mental health conversation ever since. And, you know, what started with me and a MySpace page and a box of T-shirts is now... Uh, 17 people, full-time staff. We always have five, six, seven interns that come from around the world. And uh, through social media, through our own site, through music tours, festivals, conferences, a lot of different uh, environments and settings, we we get to try to invite people into a conversation about hope and help. We've been able to give more than $2 million that's gone directly to treatment and counseling So the shortest version, just letting people know, hey, if you struggle in these ways, it's okay to be honest and it's okay to ask for help. And we've just seen so many surprising open doors over the last 13 years now. It's been a big shift too. I mean, like I remember back then people didn't talk about counseling and mental health. And now it's like, you know, everybody's talking about counseling and mental health and treatment and all that. And you guys have been a big part of that conversation even occurring, you know? Yeah, I... May, I hope so, even to be a small part of it. I, but I agree with you, and I'm thankful that uh, that people talk about it now in so many circles. What did you What did you major in in college? I went to community college, and then I did a semester at UCF, and I bailed out after that. And I was doing communication; it was organizational communication, and I I think I was doing that because I didn't like the math in business. But I was already working full time in the surf industry. So when I was 18, from 18 to 22, I was working as an assistant sales rep for Quicksilver. And so I already had my foot in the door of what I, what really was like my dream world. And so I didn't love school. And I, like, I worked for a guy who didn't go to college and didn't get it. You know, he was just like, what do you mean you have a test tomorrow? Uh, So I ended up leaving. And I think if I were to, you know, go back now or imagine myself there now, it would, it would be very different than the things I was interested in back then. But you but you were pursuing sales and stuff. Yeah. And then now you're leading a national conversation about mental health. Yeah. And I, I didn't grow up knowing much about charities. I certainly, certainly grew up kind of in love with these brands, you know? So I think that planted some seeds and uh, loved music and, you know, there, there are dots that connect, but it, but so much of it is a surprise for sure. Talk about the arc of it. So you guys started 06, you know, you guys got your shirt on uh, a bunch of bands and people started getting behind it. Obviously Renee got the help she needed. Yeah. And then it was like, holy cow, this thing's bigger than this. Yeah. And then a few years later, you guys won the Pepsi prize, right? Uh, The Chase American Giving Awards. So we won a million dollars. It only, it happened three years. Two of the final two were nationally televised. And so we were fortunate enough. That was December 2011 that we won the the million dollar grant. So, yeah, man. I, I mean, it's it's funny because we I I try to remind people we had such a, an unusual beginning, and I'm aware that it is so unusual. And and there was so much privilege wrapped up because it was like we had money coming in and attention coming in before we meant or I meant to start an organization. Yeah, I mean, it felt like in the first couple of years, like. Well, you were working for Hurley, you knew apparel, you knew brands. And so you created one that stood for something. Yeah. And 
you're like, oh, wait, but we're about, like, you guys seem like you're still figuring out. Oh, it took yeah. a couple years to figure out, like, what are we about sure. more than and that? And even just how to get organized, how to build a team, you know, the difference between leading a MySpace page and starting to lead a staff or, or you know, just just everything that came after or that came next. Uh, so I'm I'm really thankful that 13 years in, a, we're still going, but by a lot of measurements, we're we're maybe in the best place we've ever been. Uh, I think we have we have the biggest team we've been able to have, and and just we're able to make an impact into so many different groups of people. We were joking before we started about the video game YouTube kind of Twitch world, and we've had some traction there recently. So just all these places. Wait, what are you doing there? Like guys are or people are fundraising. They're like playing video games to raise money for, to write love on our arms, like on their Twitch channels. Really? Yeah. So just all these things were like, I never could have dreamed that up or orchestrated it. And, and really the common thread is just that people have different interests, but you know, these issues we talk about are issues that affect people. And so if, if you're someone who has been touched by, you know, depression, addiction, anxiety, self-injury, you might use whatever platform you have. And, and so we've, you know, we've met, there was a guy at our office a week or two ago who is a fantasy football expert on ESPN. Uh, you know, so just all these folks were like, it's just so neat people. Use, and then it's also someone at lunch, you know, in high school and they're, they're telling their three or four friends about it. Like it, it, but it's been really neat to just, I don't know, to be 13 years in and still going and still getting the chance to be creative. And then more than anything, just meeting and hearing from people who say, Hey, I'm, I'm still alive because of what you do. And it's like, brings you back to the heart of it. That's crazy. I mean, you guys are actually like, it's a life and death thing. Yeah. It, uh, I consistent, people ask like, what's, what's the best part, you know? And, and I think the best part is certainly attached to the hardest part, which is just, it is that life or death. And, and certainly the best moments are, Hey, I ended up getting help because of what I encountered, whether it was through a blog or a video or an event. Um, and then we also, you know, there, we hear from families that have lost a loved one to suicide or to an overdose and both have a way of reminding you what's at stake. Do you carry the weight of all that? Like, how do you, I mean, like, I, I couldn't imagine being a counselor. I couldn't imagine being somebody who's on the front lines of, there's so much pain. There's so much hurt out there. And like, okay, these people who are desperate for help are reaching out. Yeah. And you guys are hearing from them as well. Do you carry that with you? Yeah. In certain, in certain moments, for sure. Um, I, it feels healthier today because we have a team and we have systems and it's still human and it's still hard, but, but comparing, you know, between our staff and interns, it's, you know, there's like 25 of us compared to me and a MySpace page that was just overwhelming. Uh, it, it feels so much healthier now that it is so much bigger than me. Um, but there are certainly moments that just, that mess you up. And I actually, I was, I was listening to your interview with Carl Lentz on the way over and, and it, it's probably similar to him talking about dealing with criticism. You know, like he just said, I want to feel things. Like, I don't want to get to the point where I don't care or I'm just numb. And I think for me, it's the same way. Like I, when I, I'm not used to hearing about suicide. You know, when someone tells me that news still messes with me, obviously it messes with you more when you have some connection to that person or family or community. Uh, but I'm thankful that 13 years in, like I still find it heartbreaking, but I'm also someone who struggles with depression. And, and sometimes people are surprised because I feel like I'm probably more or at least equally affected by my own stuff, as opposed to only the weight of what I carry, if, if that makes sense. And so counseling has become a, a really important outlet, whether it's me processing my own life specifically or the weight of what I do in my work. I think it's interesting that you've been open about your own mental health journey and depression. And I think that's allowed a lot of people to feel like they can talk about it too. So thank you. Yeah. But I think it's interesting that you set out just to help somebody and it ends up being that you're in the lane of something that you need. Sure. You know, that 
you're creating something that you, you know, I yeah. maybe wish somebody else had created and could have helped. Totally. You. And I, I feel really thankful because I, I mean, there's nights where I'm standing on stage saying something, even saying things I've said a bunch of times before. And I'm aware that I'm, I'm almost talking to myself at times. Like I'm speaking out of my own need. And, and so I'm thankful to have not just this job, but this outlet to be honest. And I feel like I get to bring my whole self and, and bring my heart to work. Um, I don't know. I'm thankful to have this space. That's such a big part of my life where I, I can talk about, I can talk openly about what I'm dealing with. And then the cool thing is that good can actually come from that. Do you, a big part of your job is you're out on the road by yourself speaking at colleges and events nonstop. I mean, it might not be as much as people think. I feel like I'm, have you pulled back? I feel like I'm home more than people assume and probably speaking a little less than a few years back. Cause a few years back. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hard life. Yeah. You're just out there on the road, not with the team. There are times, there are times I get to uh, have, have people with me. Like if I'm doing an event with a musician, uh, my sister and I have traveled together a lot over the years. So certainly whoever's with me, they're playing a part, but, there's also just the healthy part of not being alone that, that is, you know, there's a big difference. I mean, you know, you tra- travel a ton, but just. No, not like you guys. But, I mean, I, I might go once or twice yeah, a month. But I guess what I mean is just, you know, how co- the difference between being alone on the road and connecting with people who care about you. The, uh, I was talking to some comedian friends that I have and just asking about life on the road. And they said like, it's the toughest thing. The loneliness of you, you have this great show or you or like maybe speaking in front of people and you're connecting with people and you're pouring into them and you feel that, I mean, number one, that's exhilarating and kind of gives you affirmation, builds you up. But then, you know, you're pouring out mm-hmm. and you go back to the hotel and mm-hmm. you're just alone and solo. And they, they, and my, these friends I was talking to really struggle with depression mm-hmm. and loneliness as well. And I was like, you have chosen a life yeah. of solitude. That is not good yeah. for you, but that's just what they have to do to make a living yeah. doing what they love. You know, do you ever feel like that? That like kind of the work you've signed up for where you're talking about these heavy, heavy issues, you've essentially like isolated yourself on the road a lot. Like, do you feel like that? I, I honestly think I'm like, I mentioned, I, I, I don't have to be alone probably as much as people would guess. And even the last couple that come to mind, I've been able to connect with people I really care about. Like the two of the last events, one was Ottawa and I connected with the guy that was my youth pastor growing up. Like I hadn't seen him in years and we, we got, he, he brought his son to the event and we had lunch the next day. And so some of it I think is being intentional. Like you can either be alone in your room or at this point, I know a bunch of people in a bunch of places. I was in, San Diego most recently and, you know, got to see Bob Goff and got to see a couple other friends. So some of it I think is the flip side of that is like, man, I get to see people who I love who live in all these different places. But I I think some of it is choosing, and I'm also an introvert, you know, but I think again, you're an introvert and you've chosen a line of work where you have to speak all the time. Yeah. Well, this, I think the, I, I think some of it's just learning boundaries and learning. I need some of that alone space to recharge. Uh, but I'm thankful for those moments or those opportunities to connect with, with friends, even longtime friends or people I don't get to see a lot in, in so many of these places. We also have a ton of former interns by now. We have, I think over 200 former interns. So most places I go, like someone shows up. Remember them? I mean, some more than others. <laughs> Dude, uh, I, I saw on Twitter the other day. Somebody, I, I, somebody commented on something that we posted, and so I followed her back, and and because I saw a lot of common uh, stuff, and then she said that her next tweet was. 11 years after interning for Relevant, I finally got Cameron Strang to follow uh, me on Twitter. And I was like, I do not recognize this person yeah. at all. Oh, We've been man. doing this a long time, dude. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> it's a lot of interns. I think, too, even if there's not like a closeness, um, there's for me, there's an appreciation of like, at some point, you gave up three or four months to, yeah. to move to this sleepy beach town in Florida. And, and you care enough to want to come back to, to an event years later. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a fan of our 
intern program. Yeah, you know? it's amazing. Yeah. You mentioned a second ago in passing that about, you know, how you are with life on the road now and, and, and things and, you know, the things that you've learned of making, you know, kind of a life and life decisions that are good for you. Like you've learned things. What are the things that you've learned that have helped you in your journey and kind of brought healing and balance to you? I think I got comfortable telling people it's okay to go to counseling and it's okay to take meds. Uh, I got comfortable with all these ideas I genuinely believed in, but they weren't steps that I had taken at the time, you know, maybe 10 years ago. And, and these are now things that are a part of my everyday life. You know, I'll go to counseling tomorrow morning and, and I'm so thankful that once a week I have this appointment and I have this hour to to be honest. And I have this person that helps me process. And I know you've, you've done counseling. Uh, you know, I've been on antidepressants for a number of years. And then I think even in the last couple of years, adding to that list, self-care is a bit of a loaded term, but I think just realizing there are all these other things I'm allowed and maybe even need to care about, you know, how much I sleep, what I eat, do I exercise? Do I prioritize relationships? even reconnecting with like being a basketball fan and being a surfer things that I think it could be tempting to think, Oh, that's, that's kid stuff. That's stuff you're into when you're younger and you have a bunch of free time. But I think just coming back to some of these maybe identity questions, but also just who am I, what makes me feel alive, what makes me happy uh, or what are some things that, that bring joy. And, you know, even now, like I, I got a puppy three weeks ago, I think just, uh, knowing I, I need to have a well-rounded life. I, I need to have a life that's more than just my identity as it relates to, to write love on her arms and the work that I do within that. Has like, what brought you to that point where you had to start making changes? Was it just how you internally felt like you were running on fumes? You kind of felt empty, burned out, or is it, did something externally like, I think a combination, but there, there have definitely been a couple times where it was external in the sense of people stepped in and said, we're right. really concerned. Like our, essentially our leadership, a couple of different times, usually in, usually around breakups in my life. So like normally navigating. Yeah. You, bought them, you bought them out. Hard. Yeah. So I'm not, I mean, that no, 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 you, totally. like, you, you, oh. you go deep and yeah. then when it ends, it's like, yeah. it, you're knocked out so, for a year. Yeah. And I'm thankful, even though those were really awkward, hard moments, you know, you sit down at a meeting that you think, or maybe you don't know what it's about and it ends up being about you and how much you're struggling. Years ago, there were a couple of times where they said, we don't, you know, I was booked to speak somewhere and they said, we don't think you should go. Like, we're not going to let you go. We're going to, we're going to send someone else or we're going to cancel these. Like you have to take care of yourself, not alone. Uh, so really hard conversations that led to, or maybe gave me permission and challenged me to realize, whoa, some things have to change. This has to be a season where I work on my healing. You know, I, mm. I, one, I went away to onsite one summer, you know, and, and the organization and even primarily our leadership has been really encouraging. And then also not, not only mental health related, but even, about a year and a half ago when our team sat me down and just said, Hey, you seem unhappy. You seem unhappy. You seem uninspired. Like, let's talk about your role and what you want for you, what you want your life to look like. And, and so that led to a sabbatical and, and, you know, some of the changes to my role. So they've, I think they've been a mix of, I think we know to some extent when we're really struggling, but at times we need, other people to sit us down and, and tell us what they see and, and how it's affecting the people around us. I have a friend named Brian Carpenter who runs this organization called Refuge Foundation and they're up in Montana and his heart, he was in ministry in church ministry and a large church in Billings. And I believe the story is that the pastor of this massive church, which he was on staff, um, like burned out mm. and like left and it was devastating to him, to the community and stuff. And so he started like kind of grabbing guys who are in the ministry world and saying like, 
you know, come, come to Billings, like, let's get away, let's fly fish. Let's hmm. just like, you know, form, form relationships. Cause you know, so many people who are leading organizations now that context is churches, but leading organizations are very isolated and very sure. alone. Yeah. And they burn out all hmm. the time. Brian told me that of his heart is to go after pastors and church leaders who, um, uh, it's like an epidemic of people like after X number of years, like leave the ministry, you know, sure. they go to business or the whatever, because it just takes such an emotional toll on them and they're so alone and so isolated and stuff. And he said something like, I think the stat was of for every hundred people who graduate seminary, one will retire in vocational ministry. Wow. And so he's just like, he's got a heart for that. But like, I've been a recipient of that kind of like, Hey, come, get out of the normal life, you know, like come for a week every year or two weeks a year. One, one year was three weeks yeah. <laughs> and go up to Montana, which is totally out of your context. And like, let's fly fish and just, you know, be friends, Yeah, you know, with, with other guys who, who get your yeah. life, you know, it's so important that like we reach out to each other mm. and like, cause it's just, you know, it, like you're talking about like basically burning out, yeah. you know, and so many people, I mean, people who might be listening to this who are in leadership of some sort or are out in front of something, you know, it's like, we're always chasing, you know, we're very entrepreneurial, you know, we're going to go change the world. We have big dreams. We're going to start a nonprofit or we're going to save South Sudan or something. You know, we're all, it seems like we're surrounded by people or this generation is full of people who have big dreams but self-care gets forgotten yeah. and, and they go and they're striving and achieving and go, 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 go. And then like 10 years later, they're on fumes, either they're coping, they're medicating in some form. Um, they have unhealthy coping habits mm. or, you know, affairs or they sure. flame out. Sure. I'm proud of you, man. Like that you're like kind of midstream, like, I've for the last several years, you've like made adjustments. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, no, man, I, where are you now? I'm in LA. Like, where are you? Where, where are you in LA? I don't yeah. know. I moved here for three months. Yeah. I, don't know. I was yeah. just like, sure. Oh no, I'm back in Florida now, but now I don't, now I'm not running. Yeah. love anymore. And sure. It's crazy. No, man, I appreciate that. Uh, even, even the puppy, the puppy is not an efficient decision. You know what I mean? Like it's, that's why I haven't gotten one. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> My son really wants one. And so, and like, for me, like I, I've never been married. I don't have kids. And I think, you know, I'm 39 and there's this feeling of like waiting for life to start. Like, Oh, when I meet, when I finally meet that person, life will start. And I think we'll get a house, we'll get a puppy. We'll yeah. Realizing like I can, I don't have to keep waiting. I, I can make some I can make some decisions and, and I'm responsible for the things I do have control of now. And so, and I fell in love with a friend's dog in LA, like in a way I never had and thought about it. And it was like, is that a labradoodle? I, uh, she's a Yorkie poo. Oh. It's a little, little <laughs> black Yorkie poo, poo uh, puppy. But it was like, man, it, I, it felt really healthy, you know, to be, I mean, it's not rocket science. It's like this, this dog loves me and I get to love this dog back. And, uh, I love like it, it slows, you know, it's like potty training and waking up at night and probably like having a baby to some extent, but it, I don't know, that was even a cool choice of like, there are challenges and, and even reasons not to get a dog. I travel a good amount, but this feels healthy. Like it, it might be slow on certain days, especially with a puppy, but it feels healthy, um, to even someone said it this way, like you wake up and the first your first thought is not yourself because there's this, this little creature that has needs, <laughs> you what know, did it destroy. Well, it yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And like, <laughs> it wants to wake up and play and go to the bathroom. And, uh, after a lot of years of kind of doing whatever I wanted, that feels really healthy. Was so, so you're, you're intentionally like making changes to create more margin. It sounds like, you know, like not, you're not in the office every day making space for counseling, you know, things like that. Yeah. And then now you're starting to shift to like making it that your life is about things other than. Yeah. You. And and I think just hoping that it can be healthy. Like I still, I still feel a real sense of purpose and a lot of gratitude with what I get to do for work. I just know that there has to be more in my life, you know? Uh, and, and 
so I think, I think, yeah, just thinking about a longer list than I did five or 10 years ago. Do you where, struggle with identity? Yeah, definitely. Cause, cause your identity was you were the right love guy. Oh, sure. I and mean, so, I don't, I don't have the, I don't have the biggest vote or the loudest voice at the organization today. And that's a, you know, humbling and healthy. Is that your but, choice? I mean, that was, that was, that was where we landed. Like I was basically given the question, what do you want? And as we and I answered that question, that, that was part of how that played out. You know what I mean? It's like, if you don't want to be a traditional executive director or CEO, we still need one of those. We actually have two of those, you know, co-executive directors. So I wanted some freedom and independence, not total separation, but some. And with that came giving up some power and elevating some other people. But it, you know, a year and a half in to that change, you know, there are still challenging moments, you know, when you, you sort of create this thing, you found this thing and it's kind of your baby for a dozen years, uh, that to let go even to some extent is, is, has certainly been challenging, but it also feels healthy, especially when I see us thriving. Like when I see things I'm really proud of that I didn't have a ton to do with, like, I'm, I'm really thankful that it is bigger than me, but it, but challenging for sure. I want to remind you that this episode of Unedited is brought to you by World Vision and their upcoming Global 6K for Water. It's a one-day event on May 4th where people from all over the world walk and run 6K in their own neighborhoods to bring lasting clean water to children in need. And it's not too late for you to take part. Not many people know this, but World Vision is the number one provider of clean water in Africa. So there's no better organization to get behind for this important cause. And this is a perfect event to help raise money to make a difference. Now, why is it 6K? Six kilometers is actually the average distance women and kids in the developing world walk for clean water. Every step you take is one they'll no longer have to. The event takes place May 4th. The whole Relevant team is running it, and we love for you to run with us. You don't have to be athletic. Everyone can participate. Whether you're in LA or Dallas or Minneapolis or anywhere else across the country, you can find a group to join or even host your own group like we're doing here in Orlando. Search for groups in your area or find out how to host your own at worldvision6k.org. Sign up today. Now, back to the conversation. Here's Jamie Torkowski. Do you see them? Are they making changes that you wouldn't do? I mean, are you like, no, not. But so, so you set strong enough of a direction that the team's just taking it further. It's not like, yeah, and they're also really respectful and like I still get to be. I'm also on the board, but they they include me in a a lot of things, especially big picture, creative, key campaigns. You know, even things like buying a building or new hires. Uh, I, I feel grateful with how often and how much I still get to be a part of. But no, I wouldn't say there's been things where it's like, oh, what are we doing? And I, I also feel like I, there's, a, there's an open line of communication where I can express concerns. And, and I do. I, I've just had to learn how to do that in a healthy way where I, I can't bring anything to anyone on our team at any time, but I can bring things to our leadership. So, so okay, you're 39 you got a puppy. You've let go of a lot of the organization that you started. It's maturing. It's thirteen. It's thirteen. It's not startup anymore. You've got a lot of life in front of you. What do you see? Like, what do you envision? Yeah. So I'm. I f- I, I love to communicate, and I think part of what I realized that led to the transition, and part of what other people helped me realize was like man, you don't love being in meetings and being on conference calls and you don't love all the decisions that go with running a day-to-day organization. Yeah, I hate that stuff. Yeah, but you love being creative with the the hope of moving people to stay alive and to get help and all the things that got to write Love in Our Arms started. 
So I think the idea is how do we free me up to write and to speak? And I kind of, I, for a while felt like a, a writer who didn't have time to write. Like I was in all these meetings and things that I like was frustrated about, you know? So it was sort of the idea of why don't we free you up to play to your strengths? So it's like, I really want to continue to write. I, I had a book come out that was a dream come true. And so the hope is to do that again. And the New York Times bestseller. Yeah. Right? So that, I mean, it was a, to, to get to have a book published, I'm aware is super special. And then to have it be well-received and even to end up on that list, like was amazing. And I want to keep, I want to keep writing, you know, and I want to, that feels like something I'm supposed to do. I want to keep speaking for sure at a, at a pace that's healthy and sustainable. So I don't want to be gone all the time. Uh, but I actually do love the, the come and go. Like it actually, even living in Florida, it breaks up. I'm, I'm good at being in Florida for a couple of weeks and then taking off for a few days. And, uh, I, I dig the travel, even the introvert in me can, can do that, can do like a couple of days away or, you know, I, I don't know how you are on a plane. Like I, I like having some of that time alone. Oh man, planes. I am the biggest. Okay. So I'm an introvert too. Yeah. You can turn it on, you know, like when you need to, sure. but when I travel, man, I put on headphones when I get out of the car at the airport and the headphones are still on when I get to the hotel. Yeah. Like I'm just, I am like in a cocoon the yeah. entire time. I love it. Sure. So it's recharging. So yeah, it's like, I want to write, I want to speak, I want to be creative. I'm thankful to still get to be a part of this organization that I believe in and to still get to play a role there, to work with people I love. I mean, my sister is one of our executive directors. My mom is on our staff. My best friend since I was a kid is our CMO. So it's like, I get to show up, even if it's a little less, I get to show up and, and be with people and work with people I love and cheer them on. Uh, so yeah, I think, I think in terms of the, the purpose is maybe not all that different. Just how my days are spent looks a little different than a couple of years ago. Why do you think things have changed so much uh, in the area that you're in mental health, the conversation around that? Why do you think things, cause it seems like on one hand back around when you guys were starting you know, nobody really talked about it. Now everybody will openly talk about it, but it almost seems like the extreme, like, like it's more of an epidemic mm. now. And I don't know if it's more of an epidemic now because everybody's more aware of it or, or are things getting harder? I, th I, the two things that come to mind and I feel like you touched on it, the need is tremendous, you know? So logically when we keep seeing headlines about an overdose or a suicide or, you know, a mental health study that gets people thinking and talking. And then the, I think the, the good part of it is as more and more people in more and more circles talk openly about these things, it makes it easier. You and I love the NBA and DeMar DeRozan and Kevin Love spoke up about a year ago about dealing with anxiety and for Kevin Love having a panic attack during a game. And all of a sudden it made it easier for all of those players and also us fans to think about it, to talk about it, to know that's part of being human at every level, no matter what you do for a job. And I think we see that in so many different circles. That's just the NBA, but like, you know, we just, we know that these issues affect so many different kinds of people and I think as, as more and more people speak up, we just begin to realize that, wow, so many people feel how I feel or have been where I am. Maybe I don't have to fake it. I don't have to hide it. Maybe it's okay not only to talk about it, but to get the help I need. So I think, I think it's the, the problem is great and, and approaches epidemic proportions, like in, in, in certain parts. Uh, but then I think the, the hopeful side is just that we see maybe the stigma broken down a bit as the conversation gets louder. But going back to the NBA, Adam Silver sat down with, I think it was Bill Simmons not long ago, NBA commissioner was interviewed by Bill Simmons. And he said, I mean, it was like two, three weeks ago. He said he's been in the NBA for decades, yeah. a couple decades. And the players today are unhappy 
I saw that, you know, and he's, and, and he, he's going, it's social media. It's all, you know, it's not just like, you know, now that it's more okay to talk about it, DeMar DeRozan says it, it's that the players today truly are dealing with more anxiety and more unhappiness and more, more mental health issues than in years past. Yeah. Why? Man, I I think, I think it comes back to some of what we've touched on is like the, just the, like, kind of like, okay, we, we know you and I know a lot of the steps to take a lot of the advice, a lot of the facts and those NBA guys have unique lives, unique incomes. They stay in the coolest, like so much about their lives are cool, but the, the things I hope for you and for myself, the steps that, you need to take when you're struggling and I need to take when I am all of that is true for those guys and for anyone else where it's like, are we actually healthy? Does anyone actually know me? Do I actually have honest conversations? Do I have a counseling relationship? You know, it's like these guys are with trainers all the time working on their, their bodies and, you know, keeping them ready to play. But what about mental health? Like, So I think whether you're in the NBA or you work at Starbucks or relevant or anywhere, it's like, we all get to figure out, am I willing to be healthy? Like, what does it look like to, to fight for that and to prioritize that, you know, from counseling to meds, to self-care, to relationships. I have a friend who had a really hard upbringing and she struggles with that like it comes up a lot and fear of abandonment and different things that are direct results of her upbringing. And, you know, I, you know, she knows that she's struggling with these things. We've even talked about it and she desires help Hmm. to get better or feel better or heal from those things, but can't afford counseling Hmm. and can't afford the medication and things like that. It's almost like a luxury option. Sure. What, what about all the people out there, especially like college students, other people who don't know where to turn or like, I can't afford $75 an hour every week, you know, that kind of a thing. Sure. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a real thing. One thing we're really proud of as an organization, we've had to find help, section of our website for years. And, and in most recent years, it was broken down by state and by city and list of resources in these different places. And now you can enter your zip code and you'll get a list of free and reduced rate services. Uh, and we've also found, like you mentioned, college students, that college campuses are often best case scenario yeah. because it's built in to your tuition where more often than not, it's free or they make it as affordable as possible. Uh, there's also grad students who are becoming counselors who have to see people for, you know, hundreds of hours. And, and so those become more affordable options. Uh, I think sometimes people overlook insurance, the insurance piece. Certainly we dream about a world where mental health isn't treated any differently than physical health. And in the same way you have a, a copay, Uh, we feel like our bodies are taken care of. I think we hope and want that and think people deserve that relative to mental health as well. But I think we try to tell people that maybe there are some more affordable options than, than you're aware of. Even, you know, I'm thinking now 12 step meetings, uh, group sessions. So I think we try to just encourage people not to give up before they start in the sense of, Oh, I, I could never afford that. Uh, even us as an organization, we, we also provide scholarship dollars so that people can get the help they need when they can't afford it. And certainly we're not the only ones who do that. I think, I think that, and then the other side of it, you know, like giving up before they start, I think is a big thing. It's like, well, okay, I, I guess it'd be good to talk to a counselor. You know, my dad left when I was a kid, I should probably work through that. You know, they've shoved that down somewhere. But they're like, ah, I'm working, I, I, I'm busy, I, I got kids now, or, or just whatever. There's always excuses. Sure. What do you say to the people who are like, 
don't see it. Cause I think the person who, okay, I've hit rock bottom or I'm struggling with depression or the story that you told, uh, in the first day of this, you know, of Renee's story of like suicide and, and, and different things that are like extreme circumstances. Mm. Okay. Okay. You've hit rock bottom. You sure. need help. But what about the person who's just coping, you know? Yeah. And they, they don't see it as a crisis where I've got to get help. It's mm. almost like, Ah, life's too busy or whatever. Money's tight. Like, what do you say to them? Like, yeah, they don't think it's urgent. Sure. You know, know, I think, I think for me, I've been out of the crisis space for a few years. And yet, honestly, this hour a week counseling appointment is probably feels even, even now, like the most significant hour of the week for me. And it, you know, it's like, tomorrow at 11 driving 40 minutes is not ideal, right? Like it's not super efficient, but it does feel worth it. And so I think, I think I would just challenge and invite people to take that step. And maybe you go for two months or, or maybe you go a couple of times or maybe you go for a couple of years, but like, if you feel like something is off, not necessarily crisis, but like there are questions or pain or grief or, things that you wish were different. Like there are people really intelligent, compassionate people who want to meet you in those places and help you process. And, and I don't know how to sell anyone on it except to say, I've seen it not only change my life, but the lives of friends, family members, and then thousands of people that we represent as an organization. I've noticed the medical industry is, is putting this a little more front and center now too, you know, like, it's a uh, like uh, some like I, there's an ad campaign going on right now for, for Cigna Health or something like that, and they have celebrities talking about talk to your doctor uh, mm. if you're feeling stress or anxiety or whatever. That like medical professionals are now getting into the psychological uh, health space, which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, this really seems like a shift. Like we're in a moment. Sure. Um, and and I just I keep wondering. Like it's like it's amazing that we're talking about it. It's amazing that it's more out in front. But I'm like, it feels like it's getting bigger, and the crisis is getting deeper. Yeah. You know, like maybe it's maybe it's social media. You know, oh, there's yeah. a generation coming up that is aspiring to fake connections on Instagram. Sure. Yeah, and like and that's it's all, all they know. Been, yeah. And like their entire self-worth is yeah. determined by this sure. thing. You yeah. and I didn't grow up like that. Yeah, no. And it's like, I, I mean, I, I, I like, I feel a burden for the yeah. generation behind us. And I think too, like even, even thinking about headlines, I mean, almost, at, you know, every few days, it's like another article about, are we going to overheat the planet? Are we going to go to nuclear war? Like there are, for people that deal with anxiety, like we, there are a lot of things to be anxious about, you know? So I think we see that factor in as well. Just like, and it's almost like, what's the point then? Oh, sure. Right. Yeah. There's a defeatist, you know, like, okay, if you're a Christian, you're like, God has a plan and purpose for all this. But like, if you struggle with anxiety and depression, you're looking at the state of things, things are getting more divisive, more violent, more grim. I mean, the future looks bleaker. Yeah. That's that. And then, you know, your, your, all your relationships are on your phone. Essentially, you know, like you feel lonely and isolated. You're never going to be pretty enough or successful enough. That's rough. People dealing with debt and divorce and cancer and things that have been around for, you know, so maybe that's why it's getting, it seems like the problems are getting, worse or like there's more of a need to have this conversation. Maybe this is why Adam Silver saying this generation of basketball players yeah. are, are unhappy. Well, I think, yeah. I think even maybe the idea, and this isn't like an expert study, but you and I grew up where if you wanted to connect with someone as a, like say when we were in junior high or high school, you had to make a phone call right. and like make plans. And now it's like, even as adults, we, we text way more than we talk like to, to everyone. There's days I feel like where I don't talk on the phone. <laughs> you I know, mean, you showed up here and now uh, you're saying that we never spoke on the phone about you coming over. Sure. And I, mean, I just mean, even, even in general, like yeah. I remember, you know, if you liked a girl, you had to call her and probably talk to her that was terrifying. dad and then ask, you know, and now it's like, so I think there, w- there was this element of 
being known and, and, you know, stepping into all that where I think so many people, adults included, like we live typing and we live looking at our phones. So is it, I'm just like, what is the model then? Cause it's not realistic for us to say, I mean, it's almost like we've opened the door to, I mean, the social media ubiquitousness and the way we are with our phones, you yeah. know, that it's just going to, that's going to sure. be that way or worse forever, yeah. you know, like the awareness of all the, you know, the information age has brought us aware of all the global issues. It's not like we're going to like go back to a hmm. smaller realization. So like, what, what's the balance? I mean, yeah. we talked about like some friends and I were talking about recently, like digitally digital detoxes hmm. and like, you know, there are people who are like gotten off all social media and mm-hmm. they almost wear it like a badge. Like, well, that's just dumb. I'm sorry. But like, sure. we, you know, don't we look use, down. Yeah, yeah, we yeah, use look, it. We yeah, like it. Yeah. I mean, don't look down your nose on me either because like, you're not like some better person because yeah. you're don't, you deleted Instagram. But it's like, but what, what do you think the balance is? What should we be, what's the model we should hold up? What should we be aspiring to that like would be a balanced, healthy life? You've been making intentional changes for two, three years in your lifestyle, your work, your travel, you know, a dog, you know, things, what should be the thing? Like maybe we all like have a Sabbath Mm. of media or something, you know, like, I mean, I think, I think the numbers might look different for different people, but I just think, how do we prioritize real relationships? Like how do we make time and space to, to do this, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, almost that idea of, it's almost like, did it, did we have to do a podcast to have a, you know what I mean? Like kind of the irony. Uh, I was with John Foreman. I saw Switchfoot about a week ago and, and John pulled up Instagram and he told me he has a 20 minute timer. He has like a 20 minute screen time. So he gives himself 20 minutes a day to be on Instagram, which is probably way less than most people. And so he's figured out that boundary. And I was just like, whoa, that's really cool. That's really impressive. So it wasn't this all or nothing. It, it lets him post about the show and promote whatever and then live his life. Boundaries. Uh, yeah. I and mean, I think the balance. It's almost like you kind of, uh, at least my personality is like, you go all in for something and go all in chasing something. And then, you know, eventually you realize, okay, I need a course correct to pull, pull in here and have a little boundary on that yeah. thing. I think boundaries are key. I, and, if I'm, de- if I'm deducing the changes you made with your life, it's like a, adding margin, putting boundaries on, you know, sleep, protecting sure. sleep and relationships yeah. and time. Well, and I think too, it's like what, it's not just about Instagram. I think it's also that question of or what's connected is what, what else could we be doing with that time? Could I go get dinner with a friend? Could I make a phone call to catch up with someone I haven't talked to in a while? Could I read a book? You know what I mean? Like, so I, I, we all get the same amount of hours. And I think it's that question of, do we settle for sort of this virtual life and swiping and liking? And, and again, not, we're all going to probably do some of that, but, but what else, what, what's even better? What would help me really feel known and loved in a way that Instagram can't provide? I like that. That's the, to step back and be intentional about that for your own life to say like, okay, what, well, it's even like when your team sat you down at work and said, okay, what's the thing that will bring you life? What's the life you want to have? It's like, get a clear vision of that thing and pursue it. Yeah. And if, if you're tired of being fat and you feel tired all the time, you know, get clarity of like, well, what do you want to feel and look like? Sure. And there are steps you can take. <laughs> yeah. You know? and, and part of what they were saying was you don't have to keep going through the motions. So like, you don't have to just, it, I remember it felt like school where it was like, oh, I just, I guess I show up here and I wait almost for the bell to ring, you know? And I think we do that with our phones and so, right? Like you just kind of go, this is what I do. I look through my phone and I like a few things and I feel like I'm missing out, you know? So the idea of, okay, well, what, what would be the best use of this time? Like the FOMO thing, a lot of people struggle with. Yeah. It's like, oh, my friends are having fun without me. And Uh, and now you feel lonely. I didn't feel lonely a minute ago. And now I feel lonely. Yeah. And the idea, like we all have these highlight reels, like, right. That's like, we kind of 
pick and choose the the trophies that we hold up throughout the day or throughout the week. And that that's become an interesting one to me because it's nothing against posting or like kind of curating these things that are fun and that we're proud of. But I, I love to ask people like, what about the other moments, like the hard moments, who meets you in those places? And it's not that you have to be brave and show it on Instagram, but like, are there people who meet you in your pain and in your questions and the things you wish were different? Uh, and I think that's what it really means to be known and to be honest. Other than your counselor, do you? Ca- counselor is a big one. I feel like, yeah, I feel like my, I think I've made an effort in the last couple of years to be closer and more open with my family and my closest friends. I mean, the, the counseling relationship's really special where it's, it, it, it just feels pure in a way. Like we don't have to, to stumble into it. It's like, we have an hour, we're going to go there. She's going to ask me really, like she knows what she's doing. She's going to ask questions. She'll call me out if she thinks I'm dodging something. Uh, I think there's more layers when it's like a friend or a family member, but I definitely think I've made space for that. Even, and I think even things like knowing I want to get dinner once a week or every couple of weeks with my best friend to like properly catch up and, and talk about how we're both doing, even though our lives look pretty different. He has a wife and two kids. Our struggles are different, but I, I feel like I'm intentional. And I, but I also think I would, I would love to have a few more people on that list, you know, in terms of people I feel close to. Why are you, why do you talk so much on social media about being single? I don't, I mean, I think. Cause, cause it, you know what? It's brilliant. Cause no. when you, hold on, when you post about Jamie being, you just wanting to find the one and I love just, you know, I'm tired of not having her in my life. Mm. And I look and there are 97 comments <laughs> I from know ladies you, raising their hand. You love it's to, like, man, you genius. It, no, you love to tease me for what it's worth. I would say it's not. <laughs> strategic. I know it's um, not strategic. Yeah. I know. Um, but You're just being think, transparent, but yeah. I'm like, look, it is yeah. a funny one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I, I sometimes joke, it's like what 90 something percent of songs are about is that longing and love and figuring it out and losing someone. So I think I, you know, it's a, it's something I think about every day and, and it's a part of my life. I wish was different and hope will be different in time. And and so I think at times that just comes out. Is that part of why, like when you go on sabbaticals from time to time, you'll go to like LA or New York because Melbourne, Florida isn't where she probably lives. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, even my, even my, like my last several, I mean, almost all of my significant romantic relationships were, were women who lived in other places. And I mean, man, God can do whatever he wants. Love can do whatever it wants. Like I, you know, I would, I could be surprised and and would love to be even in my hometown, but my track record is that I've connected with people who live in other places. And sometimes, and I'm, this is probably true for you too, sometimes feel more like-minded or like you have more in common with people in some of these cities. Yeah. Every time I, I have more friends in LA than I do here. Yeah. Well, New York too, frankly, but mainly LA. It's weird. You can't get your seats at, at the Laker games though. Nope. <laughs> it's one of those reasons, you know what? Think about that for real. Like I, 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 I you know, Cohen's growing up. I, maybe I'll live somewhere else one day. Right. But I, I love going to those basketball games so much. Like, I, I don't know that I would be happier in another city because I love going to Orlando Magic games. You're talking about like, what's the kind of life you want? Yeah. I want, like, I, I kind of had that, you know, I got divorced five, six years ago and I've over those years, like had to think about that. Mm. Like, okay, chapter two, what is this mm. going to look like tangibly? And I was living in the house mm-hmm. I had lived in for 10 years at that time. And well, this isn't my, well, the house I want, I had a dream of a house. I really had a dream of a house. It was a U-shaped modern one-story house with the pool in the middle, you know, like it's a U-shaped. And then, oh man, I did, and the whole back of it would be glass. And it'd be overlooking a lake and there'd be a boat back there. And well, I mean, it's like real estate. They say like price, location, size, pick two, you know, 
I'm not, if I want water, which there's water all over Florida, it ain't going to be in the city. I want to live in the city. If I, houses in suburban Orlando are not modern, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, I, this house doesn't exist. And then I stumbled across this house that I'm in now that was a mid-century modern house. I'd sat empty for 20 years. I could see this was the house. And it's a U-shaped house with a pool on a lake and I have a boat in the back. <laughs> and it is absolutely a house uh, made for friends. Mm. And I want to be the house that when my kid is a teenager or whatever, it's the house that all the kids yeah. want to come to. And I want it to be like after church on Sunday afternoons, every Sunday, all everybody knows just come over. Yeah. And we're grilling and there's music and people are in the pool. You know what I mean? I, that's the life I want to have. I want my life to be about other people. Yeah. You know? And I realized I had to make tangible steps to do that. And I needed to, okay, so I'm going to invest in the things that will be the life that I envision that will bring me fulfillment and joy and purpose. Mm. You know what I mean? And I feel like that's so important to do. You're doing that right now. I had to do that because of the divorce. Mm. You just can't keep on doing the same old thing. You got to figure out the new era. Yeah. But I feel like a lot of people don't get ahead of it. They, they wait for the burnout or the bottoming out. Yeah. And then they have to make changes. Sure. I just wish people like, I wish I would have known. Mm. I wish we could have all known like, Pursue margin, pursue health, pursue, okay, what is the thing? What's the life? And like, let's go yeah. after that. Have you ever heard Bob Goff talk about having conversations with the next guy, like the next version? Like every time he, I think he just turned 60. So he, he's always worded it like guy four, guy five, guy six. Yeah. Cause he talks about the decade. Yeah. So number. like, yeah. so he's always talking to himself, uh, like kind of the next version. And I know even now it's like, becoming a granddad and making space for that. And, and so I think that, that to me is really healthy and really cool. The idea of thinking ahead and, and then making space and making changes. Like he had to, he's realized, Hey, I want to be home more to, to be with my grandkids and how do I, okay. So some things will have to happen to do that. And, and that he shared that with me and it, it felt really, it, it felt significant. I, I, Time flies, you know, and, and, and I've, you know, we all have dreams of things like, ah, it'd be cool if, and then you look up and it's 10 years later and the thing didn't happen, you know? And it's like, I've, so I, you know, I'm 40, I just turned 43 a few couple weeks ago and I'm like, oh, I don't want to be like old and I never did X, Y, and Z. And so like doing things like this year, like I need deadlines. I need, I need to say yes to something and commit to it. And then like, I can't get out of it. Like, mm. so like, well, if I want to have a life where I'm in better health without a goal and a deadline, I'm not going to get up and get on the treadmill every morning. I'm just not, I'm lazy. I just don't want to do that. I don't like running. Well, then I go sign up for marathons and I did. I mean, that, and I'm like, crap. Well, now I have to like, I yeah. have to get up and get on the treadmill. Well, now the byproduct is I'm going to be healthier and I'm going to have discipline and I'm going to have routine. And that's going to be good for me in many ways. Sure. Because I'm scared of failing at the marathon, you know yeah. what I mean? And so it's like, i that's the mode I'm in right now. Yeah. It's like, what's the person I want to be? How do I get from here to there? And then like, well, that would do it, <laughs> you know? And so like, just say yes and just do the hard work, you know? Yeah. You're an inspiration, man. I mean, it's like, you're, I, when we talked a year ago, you were in the process, you had just like kind of pseudo stepped down and you're kind of coming back from being in LA yeah. and then you went back to LA or, you know, yeah. like, like you were still figuring it out. It seemed like it was wet cement. Sure. You, changes were happening, but you didn't know what it looked like. And you seem now like more grounded and more clear mm. and you've taken the steps and taking, you are taking steps toward this guy four or whatever, yeah, yeah. you know, it's really cool to see. Thank you, man. I'm excited to see what you end up writing. Mm. You know, like I knew your first book was like the book. I'm curious to see what, com yeah. what comes out of this, you know? Thank you, man. Me too. It's exciting. Hey, thanks for joining us, man. I know a lot of people um, are going to be impacted by your story and obviously millions have been impacted by the work you and your team have done. And um, I, I'm just really, it's been awesome watching you 
from afar for the last 13 years, you know? Oh, um, dude, thank you for, you know, that many years of support and friendship. I'm a, you know, I'm, I am a monthly giver. I know. I, I found that out maybe the last time I saw you and I love that. Still going. Thank I have you. my chip in the car. So cool. The little metal y'all gave us. Yeah. Stuff, you know, it's like, it's in my, uh, it's in my drink tray. That's awesome. It. Yeah. I love the work you're doing. Love you, buddy. Thank you, man. Love you too. That was Jamie Torkowski. Make sure to check out his organization to write love on her arms at TWLOHA.org. It's an acronym. And pick up his best-selling book, If You Feel Too Much, You'll Love It. Hey, if you like this episode of Unedited, I'd love your help spreading word about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing it on Apple Podcasts helps a ton, as well as sharing it on social media. And don't forget to subscribe to Relevant Magazine. We're running a great deal right now at relevantmagazine.com slash subscribe. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm Cameron Strang. I'll see you next time here on Unedited. Relevant Podcast Network.